I chose not to let everything win, but my drive to get me to the top. to KTTV. This is KT and I'm coming at you live with another episode of the Daily K Podcast. And on today's episode, we have the CEO of Career and Recovery Resources. How you doing today, Miss Kelly Young? I am doing fabulous. As you can tell, I'm in my office uh, getting some work done. Um, I actually find the week before the holidays is great because everybody leaves and I actually get work done not things that i'm like half typing half doing so so i'm feeling pretty good thank you so much for having me on oh man it is my pleasure to be able to talk about just all of the stuff awesome stuff that you're doing here in the city of houston so just thank you for coming on Mm -hmm. so before we get into things i always like to do just a check-in uh wellness check so how have you been during the pandemic and how are you staying safe I've been incredibly lucky. So we have, in the organization, we've actually stayed open all the time throughout COVID because we, part of our services are essential services. Um, And so for, you know, grace of God, good hygiene, not really sure. I'm going to put it all into one big, you know, (laughs) loving grace that I've gotten that I have not gotten sick. Um, And have been pretty lucky in terms of just dealing with stress. I mean, it's kind of easy um, to forget how much privilege and how much uh, luck you actually have when you run an organization. Um, I'm not the one who's going to be out there having to struggle to figure a job, you know, find a job or whatever. But my struggle has been making sure I could keep people employed, um, keep the organization running and actually try to end stronger um, because next year is really going to be the test for fundraising around, you know, around nonprofits for sure. Um and none of my family, they've been incredibly lucky that I haven't had family members affected. Um, so I just, yeah, I, I'm i one of those that I think, for whatever reason, my timing worked out well. Well, congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> I, um, I, I understand what you mean about the fundraising. I was able to um, MC um, the trivia night for a Houston Parks Board. And so um, that was so much fun. But at the end of the day, it was still all about fundraising. You know, mm-hmm. and just trying to make that. Um, so, as you talked about, you were nominated through the Community Heroes. And it was because of your work in keeping everything open. Um, and just the work, just share what you do in the community. Like I said, the Violence Against Women, the AIDS Foundation. So, in Career and Recovery Resources, I know that you all uh, focus on four core programs. Uh, what are those core programs? And... How is it going during the pandemic? Yeah, well, I, a couple of things. I think one of the things um, to note is that right now our program is just to serve whoever comes in through the door and get them what they need. Um, I think that was our take on it when we got started. So our structure of our organization really was to provide employment services. And we have a specialized program for people who are deaf and hard of hearing. We have a program for veterans. And then we do outpatient um, drug and alcohol substance use um, treatment. And so, you know, it's kind of this weird, like, how do you get all these together? And it's like, well, because they're all barriers to a dignified and self-sustaining life if they get out of control or if you just are struggling with homelessness or an inability to get a job. Um, And so the focus has always been on this organization to remove barriers. And so when COVID came, 
well, that's your greatest barrier, right? This was the thing where everybody had to stay home and everybody had to take care and they absolutely should. The problem is, is that for a lot of people who are right on the edge, this just pushed them over. And we knew that there had to be a place. So if I'm, if I'm struggling with homelessness and I'm calling somebody and then that's going to their house so they might call me back or they might not or whatever, it wasn't going to work. That people had to walk through a door and see a person and sit down and get that process going. And then I think we had an advantage because we have a, a really nice facility where if somebody came in, they actually could sit in another office, pick up a phone, dial the person next door who could pick up a phone. So, you know, social distancing can happen even in social services where you protect people. I think there was a commitment from the beginning of the people who work here. So it's great that I wanted to stay open, but it only stays open if the, pe- the team shows up. And the team, the core team that I have, that was their main goal. You know, it was how do we stay, we can keep ourselves safe, safe, we know how to do all that, but how are we available to the people we're supposed to serve? So I got lucky that I had 50 people who were willing to sort of gamble this a little bit with me and say, okay, well, together as a team, we can figure this out and make a commitment to show up. And when we've seen things get you know, a little out of balance. Um, We serve people coming out of the TDCJ system, Texas uh, Department of Criminal Justice, out of the prisons. And around July, we started to see a lot of people come out with um, staying with people who had COVID or COVID symptomology. So we had to go back to virtual groups because we couldn't, we knew we couldn't contain 10 to 12 people safely in a group. So we went to Zoom, but we kept our intakes and our individual counseling as face-to-face. Um, because these are individuals coming out of prison. They don't have, (laughs) they have to talk to somebody. They have to learn how to use Zoom. They may not even have a phone. They're living with family and relatives. And now you're on a substance use call with 10 other people. Um, So, you know, it's, we've tried to meter it as best we could, but libraries aren't open. We were running into a problem where we were housing veterans in hotels. So there was some money left that was, that was, freed up through some grants. Sorry, my phone is ringing. (laughs) Somebody wants to set an appointment Uh, (laughs) um, to make sure that people could get safe and off the street. So we were housing people in hotels. And one of the issues we ran into is that people didn't have IDs. And so hotels were like, well, I'm not going to take them. So I literally called a hotel and I was like, you will take my ID. And, you know, I have DNO insurance. I can be covered for liability issues. The check is made out in my name. So put this person in a hotel room. But it opened up this whole issue, which is that if you don't have an ID, you can't get into anything. And so out of that, we started working with restorative justice because we were starting to do some voting um, within the jails and said, okay, we'll come and do um, ID searches for for our individuals here. So Tuesdays and Thursdays, people can come and get their IDs. And it's amazing how many people just don't even know how to do that. Um, another example is if you want to get into housing and you're a veteran or you have any income through Social Security, you need your current award letter. Well, the Social Security office hasn't awarded current award letters because they're not working. <laughs> so, you know, these kinds of things that you're like, yeah, so every step they take is just another barrier. So we're like, well, we got to figure out how to fix that because we're not going to just keep um, turning people away without some kind of answer. Sorry, I kind of went long-winded on that, but those are examples of of just these little tiny things that I think anybody you talk to in social services will say, we have talked about this for years. These are not new issues. They were exacerbated by 
the pandemic. We have talked about them and talked about them and acted like they're fixed and put a Band-Aid on it and sort of talk it through and make a bunch of cliche sentences about it. But the truth of the matter is, is the pandemic showed all of the holes in the safe net. Yeah, you know? I agree. That, that's for education as well. Um, you know, you get to see those pieces yeah. of who are the people who can access the curriculum at home and who are the people who simply can't afford to. So they're not being educated. Uh, so right. that, that is a struggle that we dealt with as well. Um, I want to back up some because the way you are innovative, the connections, the know-how doesn't come like overnight. So how long have you been doing this um, as far as a little background on you? And when did you realize that you would just live and have all this weight on your shoulders as your life's work? <laughs> Well, it's funny. I was thinking about it because I, I um, was thinking about when I started and I was lucky. I grew up in Eugene, Oregon, um, and I went to kind of an alternative um, grade school talking about education. Um, and one part of their basic curriculum is that you had to go and serve somewhere else. And so we were right by the Proles Buck School. And so for an hour and a half every week, we would go down and help kids with disability um, play with them and do games and different things like that. So I, I think I was introduced to the idea that you, when you can, you serve. That, that's what you should be doing. And then I remember being in junior high and there was a program called, um, it was called being a people tutor. And it was the same thing. So people with physical disabilities, teaching them how to play sports because I was an, an athlete. So getting to do that. And then, so it was always sort of just there. And it's my... When I do a good meditation, one of the things that always rises into my consciousness is my ultimate value is service. It, it has never changed. It hasn't gone away. And so out of high school, when I was working on my um, undergraduate degree, I paid my way through school. So it took me eight years. So I worked. Um, I worked at a, sh a shelter for abused children and I worked with emotionally disturbed kids. Um, and I did that for quite a while. And then I found that probably working with children was not my thing. Love them loved working with them. The emotional toll on me was not something I could really do. Um, and so then I started working with, I moved to Houston. I was living in Oregon at the time. I moved to Houston and I worked in a food stamp office for a year and everybody should work in the food stamp office for a year. It's the best learning experience about people and how we create systems and processes that um, are not useful in some ways and misunderstood in other ways, right? So it's two balances to it. Um, and then I started working at the Women's Center and I was the manager of counseling services and I ran groups for um, uh, survivors of rape and domestic violence. Then I was the VP there for eight years. Um, and then I left there and I became an executive director at a small organization, a women's health organization that was basically rebuilt their curriculum around girls and building resiliency. And they still use that today. And I got recruited from there to go to AIDS Foundation. At the heart of all of the work I've done, it, you know, you can plug in almost any of the types of groups I've worked with. What I know I'm good at is letting the people who really like to do that direct work the, the counseling, the case management, whatever, that they have an organization and a culture that values that, that understands that they're, the only barriers you have are the ones that you decide to place in front of yourself. It doesn't mean you're going to solve everything, but as long as you, my literal attitude is, yeah, but what could we do about that? Yeah, but what could we do about that? 
And at some point, they all just walk out of my office. They're like, I don't, I'm sick of you. You make me mad. <laughs> um, right. And part of it is, you know, I developed a, a, a training exercise where we took eight venues of what it's like to walk through, if you're a sexual assault survivor, what it's like to walk through all of the different systems. And you'd have two cards, so you could choose to go to the police or you could choose not to. And it really helped people understand that experiential piece of none of this is easy. You think it is because you aren't in it. And you're like, well, I would go to the police. Okay, well, if you didn't or if you did, you might find out that that didn't turn out quite how you thought it would. Um, So innovation to this is if the question is, yeah, but what else could we be doing? Then you constantly have to be creating something in response. Um, When we were doing, when I was doing HIV AIDS work, we were building out the strategy. One of the things that I talked about over and over again, and we kind of got known for at the time was a a Southern approach to HIV and AIDS, because all the interventions that came down were from San Francisco, Chicago, Washington, DC, and New York. Well, that is not the South. (laughs) South is really, really different than that. And those were four places that had huge public health systems. New York City itself spent $10 million a year on HIV prevention. The city of Houston spends zero. So that alone is a major um, what a, you know moment of innovation. Okay, so what is a southern approach? You have you can't translate all this into what we do, and so it was much more grassroots. It was finding um, unique ways in the arts to try to tell the story, and then in terms of the work that I do now. I think honestly what it is, is a true reflection and a truth telling about, do we want to continue to run systems and structures and processes that um, leave people out of the system and pretend that charity will solve the second chances, or do we actually want to be a healthy, complete, dignified society? Because you you can't decide either or, it's kind of got to be an and. and so my struggle now is really about telling people you you keep talking about giving people these second chances, but you don't want to do what it's going to take. And you keep talking about making success for people, but you're not willing to see that we're going to fail a million times before we succeed. And and how do we speak truth to that in a way that doesn't um, deter people from joining, but also can we just be honest about it? And, and stop sort of pretending that these things are working because they really aren't. Mm. Well, I think that'll do it for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, awesome, awesome message. Thank, thank you for that. Um, because, like you said, we we really have to realize in twenty twenty one will be that um, divider on, on which way we go, the fork in the road. Are we going to do something about it or not? Well, and the interesting thing is, I don't know if you've ever read uh, Paulo Freire. It's a, a, the pedagogy of, of oppression. And he was a Brazilian professor, and it's a long time ago. But one of the things I loved about it, because it was the structure of popular education, and one of the things I loved about what he said is you can be naive and try to go back to what you were, or you can be critical and move forward. And I, th- I think we're at a point where there's enough motivation, enough um, drive, enough frustration, enough fed upness, I don't know what it is, that maybe we can continue to be critical and not go back to the naive. Because naive will give us comfort, right? I, I, I can go back to what it was and I'll feel comfortable there. The problem is, is then we just recreate the same thing. 
what if we were really critical about it and said, guess what? This really is the time to address this. If you if you cannot see structural racism, I don't know, I don't, or structural sexism for that matter, I don't know where you've been living. And if you don't want to buy into the idea of structural racism, then you at least have to buy into the idea of process that's racist or sexist or whatever, because it was born out of people's perceptions that said somebody is more than the other. So whether you want to couch it in that way, which I think a lot of people get really uncomfortable because then they have to admit you actually have racist or sexist beliefs, right? Um, what if what if we just also had the conversation that you can tell by the processes of who gets dropped out of the process over and over and over again um, to recognize that it doesn't work. And, and so what is at the root of that? Um, and the processes for people who are homeless, who have substance use issues, who have um, employment histories that are sketchy because you know, they worked for people who discriminated or they didn't have the right skill set or they weren't well educated. They didn't get access to the same education needed. Um, you know, there has to be a recognition of that because you see them drop out of the process over and over and over again. Mm. And, and wow, that that just gives me um, a lot of background on like the AIDS work. Uh, I'm pretty sure you've seen so much of that happening. Uh, within that sector, even the women's sector, I guess, but it was still the same thing over and over, the same people. Uh, right. Yes. And so you just hope that. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you, you, all these processes were set up, in, in, but if you pay attention to the ones that keep falling into the river, right, you have to keep pulling them out at the end, then you start to look at it and go, okay, so what has to change systemically? What has to change purely from a rules perspective, right? Some of this doesn't have to be legislation. It can be a rules change within the way somebody does something. And then and then how is it that, so like what I find interesting about HIV and AIDS work is that the group that really pushed forward um, in the 90s, 80s and 90s, they literally created a whole different system. They said, if you are not going to care for us, if you are not going to be our healthcare providers, if you're not going to do that, we will create this whole other system. Which is great. The problem is at some point you have to integrate that because otherwise you're still outside of the process that works for most. And so, you know, that work in watching individuals who really just said, you know, it, we have to do this differently. You know, I think about it in, in people may dislike or like charter schools or whatnot, but it's the same concept, which is if you will not allow me to be in the status quo process, I have got to come up with something else. I, I can't survive without that, you know? And so it's just an interesting thing. And I think when I worked with women, it was the same thing. I, I want to get out of a marriage. I want to get out of, I want to, I don't, the criminal justice system doesn't always work to my advantage. So what are the processes that you have to do? I think we're at a point where we're really having to integrate. We can't create a separate process when you have a pandemic. You cannot. Nope. And so we are all when, engaged. Thinking about the people who need those services. Uh, mm -hmm. I know you talked about a lot of people coming out of jail. Um, what other ways? Can I just come in off the street and say I'm tired and I need services? Or how does that, that work? Is there a qualification for it? So all the programs have different qualifications. One of the things I would suggest, yeah, absolutely, just come in if you need to do that. Um, but probably the first and best thing to do is to, to call on the phone because we may not have the best resource and we're going to try to hook you up first that way versus having to take 
an extra trip to do it. The other thing is that in most of our systems, you have to engage in another system. So a lot of people do not understand how the homeless um, system works in Houston. So you can come in and you might be homeless. I can't place you in a place to live right now. You enter an entire coordinated access system that puts you on a list. So, you know, you're fine to come down. We will assess you. We will try to do the best we can, but we can't place you um, even if we had an open bed in one of our programs. It's it's a process. What I tell people is, is if you come in or you call, first and foremost, I know this sounds dumb, please have a piece of paper and a pencil or a pen or a lipstick. I don't care what it is, but some, you know, coal (laughs) that makes no difference because people consistently think that they remember and are going to remember what you've told them and you won't and because it's a it's going to be a ton of information the second thing is it's always going to take longer than you think it is and you need to be prepared for way longer period of time so you know if 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 you think it's going to take a half hour because you've scheduled some other things, you have to take other things, that may not, you just need to know what will get done in a half hour. Um, And these are things that the individual can do coming in, right? The other thing is um, realizing that you're gonna tell people a bunch of really personal information and they don't necessarily wanna know it, but they have to know it. And you're gonna have to tell very complex parts of your life that if you're not um, honest and direct about, you're going to get the wrong resourcing. We don't care what you've done in your life or who you are in your life or any of that stuff. We want to make sure that you leave with something. We're not sitting in our offices judging about it. We just aren't. And so, but it's hard to sit in front of somebody and tell people about your drug use or that you, you're out of jail because you, you know, stole or you beat somebody or whatever it is. But you're, you did that. It's done. Now where are we going? Um, and that's more important. And I think the other thing is to, you know, you're certainly more than welcome to go on the website because you actually can sign up for a direct um, appointment there. But we stayed open for the purpose of being able to have people come in. We served 600 people in the last six months in our computer lab um, because we have it open from 10 to 3 and it's socially distanced. So if you need to come in and just kind of work on some stuff, we have that available for people. But I just pick up the phone and call. Somebody here will help you. Oh, that's the last thing. Whoever you talk to, get their name. And it's not because you're, you know, you're going to tell on them. It's because a lot of times, if you remember that, then let's say you talk to Kelly, which sometimes people will talk to me. I, my number is out with the parole officers as being the contact for getting into substance use. <laughs> I'm not, but... <laughs> But they can call me and I get on the phone and I talk to them and I always tell them, tell them that you talk to Kelly so that if they call back and something gets lost in translation, translation, they can say, well, I talked to Kelly and that person can call me. Um, So those are just some really good tips about how to work through systems that are not user friendly. The last thing I would remind everybody is that you might be the fifth or sixth person. And although we're professionals and we should be able to maintain ourselves throughout the entire day. We all are also living with COVID and these are individuals who are choosing to show up to work knowing that they're putting themselves at risk. The last person who came in could have yelled and screamed at the person, you know, people are frustrated. And so if you can come in with an, uh, with an understanding that that is also a human being sitting across from you, 
um, that can be much more useful than getting mad at them because the system isn't or the processes aren't working. Great information. Um, so I look forward to sharing that. Now, this is one of the final questions before we start landing this plane. All right. Six o'clock right now. Mm-hmm. My word for 2021 in my life is balance. Ah. So with all of the things that you have going on, with all the weight of listening to other people's problems um, and helping them fix them, how do you find that balance for you? Or going forward, what would be some of the ways you plan? Well, I hate to say that I'm a little cliche, um, but I will I will own it. Um, I actually am a, a fairly regular practice of, of meditation. Um, and partly because somebody described me once that the way my brain seems to work is like I'm a scattered um, dot graph that hasn't made any connections. And so, so I'm like a, I'm like a, you know, I'm like a Pollock. Like I'm just all these things happening at once. And I know I have to slow down and give myself time to digest every little dot that I've seen out there and all these things and say, how do these synthesize into something? It may just be nothing, but just getting to that no thing in my brain. Um, you know, that piece with meditation in particular, when you, I call it being behind the eyeballs, where you are sitting in the deepest sense of your consciousness, and there's just nothing there. So the the way to do it is to say, well, who am I? And then don't, you can't answer it with any of your thinking thoughts. So you can't say, I think I'm, or I am, or any of that. And you have this one clarity moment of just being. Um, So I practice that a lot. It helps me. Um, I find that the clearer I get about my focus, who am I trying to serve? What am I trying to do for them? How, where are those, you know, yeah, but what else can we do kind of moments? That is my driving balance. It's how I feel good. It's when I'm not doing any of that stuff and I kind of get into worry and wallow and, and, you know, feeling like a victim to the circumstances that's when I'm super out of balance because the truth of the matter is, is I've got a healthy family. I've got a paycheck. I've got interesting work. You know, I have had multiple opportunities of privilege throughout my entire life. I've had, so all of this is not as bad as I want to make it be at any given moment. (laughs) So feeling sorry for myself is, you know, that's usually when I have to kind of kick myself in the butt and be like, really? I mean, this is a pretty this is a pretty glorious world. There's a, a tremendous amount of grace all the time. It's grace is always present, right? You just have to decide to find it. Um, I sleep a lot. I think that people don't sleep enough. I think they feel like it makes them lazy or it makes them seem disconnected. And what I would tell you is that our psyches and our bodies um, unconsciously are focused on fighting a virus, whether you're thinking about it or not, and that's going to wear you out. So really making sure that you're resting as much as your body is telling you. Um, Because if you think about it, like for me, the last six months, every day I walk into work thinking I have to protect myself against the virus. I have to protect 50 people against it. I wear a mask. I have, you know, masks, 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 Um, you know, all this stuff. And that wears on your ability to feel 
healthy. And the second piece is that you start to feel an exhaustion that you didn't really plan on. So sleep. Yes. Occasional glass of wine is not a bad thing either. Hey, never hurt nobody. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree though. Uh, you know, just, just even at the school uh, and things are happening so fast with us because um, we allow kids to really come back and forth all school year. And so on top yeah. of making sure that I'm working on processes to keep everyone safe, uh, keeping myself safe. And then it was also bringing in kids, putting out kids that are going back virtual. And it was it was tiring, you know, so I understand totally where you're coming from. So thank you for those kind words of yes. information there. <laughs> I, I was, sleep is the number one. So that's another word for 2021. Sleep. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So how do they find you uh, to donate to see what you need um if somebody needs the services just please give us the contact information yeah and the easiest way so we try to make everything online so it's super easy for people so just careerandrecovery.org um just go on our website and click donate or click programs it'll give some information or click calendar and sign up for um classes or for an appointment and you know it, or call the main number i mean you're more than welcome to call just to find out what we need and what is um, important to do, which is 713-754-7000. I mean, if you happen to be in the neighborhood and you're wearing a mask, please don't make us, do not make us ask, wear your mask. <laughs> you know, that's all we want. Um, you can certainly stop by our main address, which is 2525 San Jacinto. We're down Midtown, so it's pretty easy to get to off the train and off the bus. So yeah. now, what sport did you play? I played volleyball and basketball, and I ran track. I was a hurdler. Yeah. Okay, I can see. I can see that. I can see that. I can see it when <laughs> yeah, you I got, I yeah. got the, What people, they're like, she is, how do they describe me? Um, gangly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they got long limbs. I'm like one of those air things that stand outside. You know, like yes. <laughs> That's cool. That's if cool. you need to rent me for a party, I could just hey, be out just, there like this. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I, I love um, the conversation. I love your sense of humor, you know, because that is very important, especially, you know, in that line of work that you're in. You got to you gotta some kind of way keep that. Uh, so thank you for your time today. Like I know it's real busy. You're probably about to get back to work. Uh, so just thank you for taking some time to really get this out so that we can help uh, change more lives. Let's go for 600 more in the next six months. That would be lovely. And I hope we figure out a way to partner with each other. We're always looking for opportunities. Like I said, I'm the scattered um, dot graph. And you might be here and I might be here. But I feel like we are here for some reason, mm -hmm. right? Yes. So That's it. please make sure that you, you stay in touch with me and figure out how we can be of help and service yes. to you as well. Yeah, and I will say, um, speaking of that, I was able to talk to Volunteer Houston, the Nonprofit Leaders Forum. Um, and I was able to talk to all those guys. Uh, like I say, that's how I end up with the Houston Parks Board Trivia Night. Uh, so <laughs> I've been doing a lot of work with them. Uh, but I remember it was one day we, we needed a refrigerator. And so I was able to call someone to help get them uh, a refrigerator for wheels on, uh, Meals on Wheels. Uh, so right. just any way that I can help, please let me know. And I'm here. All right. Well, I feel like we're friends. Much love and grace and respect to you this holiday season. Same and you. anything I can do for you, please just reach out. That'll work. That'll do it. All right. I'll talk to you soon. All right. All right. This is KT for KT TV signing out. 100.